everybody. My name is Ben, and welcome to Headcanon, the podcast dedicated to exploring the vast reaches of cinematic universes that never were and never shall be. Every week in this podcast, I select a movie at random from a carefully curated list of some of the weirdest and most obscure movies I've never seen, I watch and review it, and then I try to imagine what it would be like if I was given the opportunity to expand it into a soulless, cash-grab multimedia franchise. I pitch sequels, prequels, spin-offs, crossovers, gritty reboots, TV adaptations, video games, and even porn parodies, trying to find that lost classic that never got the attention it deserved, and then giving it way too much attention that it deserves. You know what? I think that might be it. I think... After what, 20, 23, 24 episodes, whatever this is, I think I think that might be the stinger that I'm going to use all the time. I think I've said that before. In fact, I think the last time I said it, it was about a thing about dicks, which I immediately regretted and, and didn't ever use again. But that, that, that sounds classy. It's short and sweet and to the point. It feels like a, a nice punctual ending to that opening intro. I think that's it. Finding the lost classic that... that I've already forgotten it, so maybe it's not good. Okay, fuck it. <laughs> back to square one. I'm gonna try to find another. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna listen to that. And I'm gonna get the wording right, and then I'm gonna do that over and over again so that it's consistent, because that's what I'm looking for in this podcast, and I think that's what you're looking for in this podcast: consistency. That being said, I've changed the format again. So uh, if you wanna. Uh, settle in for another edition of me explaining the the arbitrary roles that I come up with for how I decide movies and so forth. Uh, if you remember when I started this podcast, if you'd listened from the beginning, I would just pick movies solely at random and, and have no kind of structure behind that. And then I got like four horror movies right in a row for my first four episodes, so I decided to impose a tighter structure where I have different categories, I have different lists, so I have like list of comedy films, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and then I have some weird ones. I have like modern movies, stuff that is after the 2000s, or classic movies, which is everything before 1960, or before 1970, so 1969 and before. And then uh, I have my my 10th episode of every block of 10 episodes is is the choice episode where I get to pick uh, what I want to watch. Last time it was a, an anime film called A Wind Named Amnesia. So anyway, I have all these categories, and I roll uh, basically a random order for those categories and then a random movie that fits one of those categories just so there's a little more variation in the movies that I'm, t- I'm watching and talking about. Uh, and then I came up with this idea of doing franchise uh, episodes. Uh, the last one I did was for The Mangler. Uh, I did one on Tetsuo the Iron Man where I watched an entire franchise over the course of usually one or two episodes, usually three at the most. Uh, I've only ever done the, the one-part episode so far. I've only done trilogies, but I know down the line I'm going to get a random franchise that, that is... You know, probably six or seven episodes, or six or seven movies long, so uh, I know that's coming down the pike. Uh, but anyway, that was another change. And now I have yet another one, because I kept thinking, what would I do for double features? Movies that only have one other movie attached to them. I don't want to just watch the one movie and then watch the other one maybe down the line when I, I, I get it randomly. I don't want to watch a sequel to a movie before I watch the original. You know, I want to kind of have... Like, like the experience of it is is, is sequential or, or, or chronological, if you will. So uh, for those movies that only have one other sequel or prequel or whatever, they don't really fit for the franchise because they're, they're not enough of them, so it, it doesn't justify the length of the, those episodes. So I'm deciding, in addition to the franchise episodes, I'm also going to have a double feature episode. So it started out these, these blocks of episodes that I'm considering sort of seasons. This is the first of season three. Uh, 
originally they were 10 episodes long, and then I added the franchise episodes, so they were 11 episodes long. Now I'm adding a double feature episode, so it's 12 episode seasons. So the typical, like, BBC show season, you know, 12 episodes long. And uh, I'm saying in the middle of, of the season, so basically I'll have five regular episodes, then I'll have a double feature episode, I'll have the remaining five regular episodes, and then I'll end on the franchise like I normally do. Uh, so in the middle there I'll have, like, kind of a break and and I, I've already picked the double feature this the, for this block. I, I'll talk about that when I get there. First, I got I got five more episodes, or rather this one and four others to go. Uh, but anyway, that's a new change I'm making. I just wanted to throw that out there right away because, like I said, this is the start of a new block of, of new episodes. This is officially season three, as I'm calling it. I, I say officially. Nothing is official on this podcast. It's it's all just me. It's not like I have a group of anybody like coming up with these things. But anyway, uh, that's just something I wanted to, to preview uh, while I was here. And also, I'm just kind of killing time because I couldn't find a lot of information on the movie I'm going to watch this week. I, I'm watching a movie called Neon Maniacs. It's a, a movie from 1986 uh, directed by Joseph Mangine, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I was I was going back and forth on whether to make like a Mangina joke, which I guess I just did, but I don't know. That's not really a joke. That's a reference to a hypothetical joke. But anyway, uh, he doesn't have anything else in his filmography. He hasn't directed anything else, so I can't really talk about like, oh, what, what, what might I watch in the future if I like this movie? Or, well, I mean, even if I hate the movie, I'm still going to have the stuff on the list to watch it. But he doesn't have anything. So I, I did notice one thing, and, and I think I'm just going to throw this out there. This is me just sort of coming up with something to talk about so that I, I have a little bit of lead time in here. But he, the movie Neon Maniacs, like I said, 1986, Joseph Mangine, and it was originally called Evil Dead Warriors. And I don't know if it was originally called that or if maybe it's called that in other markets, but I thought it was an interesting opportunity to talk about uh, something that, that's been troubling me, or at least potentially troubling me, or, or troubling me about its potentiality. I don't know how you would say that. But anyway, there's a series of movies, well, multiple series of movies that are interconnected in a way that I'm not sure how I would treat them on the podcast as far as, you know, I talk about that franchise week where I, I take the entire franchise and I, I analyze it one after the other. And I, again, I'm dreading those incredibly long franchises. Like, there's this a series of movies called like Josh Kirby, where they were they were like kids movies, like sci-fi fantasy movies, and there's six of them. And it's like, am I gonna want to sit through six of those movies when I get that? Uh, and then there's this, this series that that it's related to the Evil Dead films, which uh, if you've ever seen them, there's there's three of them officially. There's Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, and Army of Darkness. But then there's like Evil Dead Warriors. It was a movie that was sort of you know, trying to, apparently, at some point, trying to glom on to that franchise. There's also a, a Japanese movie called Evil Dead Trap, which, I mean, obviously, the, the idea is people like Evil Dead. Maybe they'll like this movie that we just slap on this title, Evil Dead 2. And I would never consider those part of the franchise. I would never watch those thinking I was obligated to watch everything that had Evil Dead in the title. But there is something with the Evil Dead movies, if you've ever heard of the La Casa movies, where they were... So, sort of similar, but I feel like a little closely connected that, that I would almost think I'm obligated to watch them as well. If I did ever get the Evil Dead franchise, for example, I'd watch the, the original three. And the La Casa series, they were, they were continuations, unofficial continuations of the Evil Dead franchise in Italy and other markets. So like, but they were, they were otherwise completely disconnected movies. So for instance, uh, 
there's they had Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, and this was before Army of Darkness came out. They had they called Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two La Casa One and Two, and then they had La Casa Three, but that's not Army of Darkness. That's a movie called Ghost House, or at least that's what it's called in America, and it has no other connection. It's not directed by Sam Raimi or anything. And then they had La Casa Four, which is a movie called Witchery, which again no connection to Evil Dead, or I'm I'm not even sure if it's connected to Ghost House. I don't believe it is. And then there's La Casa 5, which is actually a movie called Beyond Darkness. And then then after that, it gets really weird because La Casa 6 is House 2, the second story, which is the, the direct sequel to House. I say direct. I think it's mostly an original story, but I, I do believe the, the guy from the original comes back early on in that movie, maybe just to die. I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, they, they took an entirely other different franchise that started in America. I believe Ghost House and Witchery and all those are, are Italian movies, at least, that they slapped an American name on. This is another American movie that they are attaching to another American franchise by slapping an Italian name on it. And then La Casa 7 is the horror show, which is in Europe considered House 3, even though it's not even connected to the House franchise. And then they, they took that and they made that La Casa 7. So basically... It's all a big clusterfuck of alternate titles, and I'm not sure how to how to deal with it. Do I just take the La Casa movies, starting with La Casa 3 and ending with La Casa 5, like as, as a trilogy? Because obviously you would treat House 2 and the horror show, aka House 3, as part of its franchise. Or do I watch them all? Do I watch Evil Dead, La Casa, and House as if it's all the same franchise? Because when I say the horror show otherwise has no connection to either La Casa or Evil Dead or, or uh, House, one or two, the only reason it's treated as canon as a House film is because they made House 4 after that, which was more closely connected. And I say closely connected to House 1 and 2. It's also not really connected to any of them. None of these movies are really connected narratively. They're just connected by bullshit producers doing bullshit machinations to try to get you to watch them. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how I treat that as somebody who uh, is trying to be as complete and cohesive as possible. Or do And do I add Haosu, which is a, a Japanese movie called House, which is a horror movie, which has absolutely no connection. But once again, it just has a similar title. If I get to that point, of course, I'd just be going insane. I'd be my franchises would be 20, 30 uh, movies long as I, as I try to watch everything that has a similar title to anything else. But I don't know. It's been in my head for a while. There's also a similar franchise called Zombie, which I think I've referenced before on the podcast. And, and there's a lot of movies in that franchise that, that are just somebody just decided to call it Zombie 5 or Zombie 6. So I, I'm grappling with that and I'm just kind of waiting with dread to because, you know, I, I when I look up my franchises, I have a list of all the movies that are in the franchise. And if I get one at random, then I, I watch that entire franchise. So I'm waiting to get the zombie franchise, which is on that list, or the La Casa franchise, and, uh, or the Evil Dead franchise, or the House franchise, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do when I get there. Uh, but anyway, that was a way to kill some time, and uh, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Neon Maniacs, or rather I'm going to watch it and then come back and talk about it, because like I said, there's not really a lot to talk about, at least going into it. Apparently it was a bit of a troubled production, according to the IMDb trivia. They lost money several times and had to stop production and come back to the point where a lot of the the monster characters who are under makeup had to be recast because you know actors had other commitments. So there there are multiple credits for what I believe is a cadre of monsters that are stalking these these teenagers. Uh, so I'm I'm I believe it's even somewhat unfinished. So I'm I'm gonna watch for like cuts and an odd connections where it seems like they cobbled this together sort of Frankenstein style, which usually doesn't 
portend good things for the movie overall, but who knows, you know, uh, Collision Course, a movie I loved, was the same way. They they ran out of money on the last day of production and had to shelve it for years before they could actually bring it out and, and complete it, so, you know, maybe, maybe this will still be a hidden gem, even if it uh, had some birth pains along the way, so, anyway, gonna pause the podcast, watch Neon Maniacs, then I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna tell you what I think. You're telling me that these things are inside the Golden Gate Bridge. One. Two. That they only come out at night. That they're responsible for the death of 15 or more kids and three of my police officers. <laughs> Let me ruin your evening The stranger said to me Your new lover My old lover My sue is playing they think they're going to live I forever. What, she told me. what are you doing? Come on, play with us. You want to fool around? But they're in for a terrible surprise. Hey! Now, there are twelve new reasons Over here! to be afraid of the dark. They're after me. And every one of them is a killer. Introducing, in diabolical order, Axe, Hangman, Doc, Biker, Slash, Juice, Samurai, Mohawk, Archer, Soldier, are the neon maniacs. They live so others may die. Neon Maniacs. And I'm back, and I've watched Neon Maniacs from 1986, directed by Joseph Mangine. And... You know, this is this is a mixed bag of a movie, as I should have expected given what I talked about with the production history. Apparently, in addition to cast changes, they also cut out a lot of world-building and mythology. Apparently, there's an entire ending sequence where they take on the Neon Maniacs that was cut, and I'm assuming reshot because there is... I don't want to say a definitive ending, but there is an ending that feels like it was intended to be an ending, but it definitely feels like they went back after the fact and said, we don't have an ending, well, let's just do this, I guess. That being said, it's not a terrible movie. I, I don't regret watching it. It's not fucking Mangler 2, which I, I think I'm officially saying is the worst movie I've seen for this podcast. I guess it was The Invisible Maniac for a while, but then the Mangler 2 happened to me, and I, I, I don't know how to feel about it even now. But this was nowhere near that. I wouldn't recommend this to a lot of people. I feel like if you're like me, if you're a well, a huge horror fan for one thing, but if you're specifically one of those people that looks for these movies that nobody's ever heard of and, and you delight in discovering things that, that are really rare and obscure, if you're a, if you're a completionist, if you're, you know, uh, if you're a niche horror fan, this is probably something you're going to want to check out, but even then, it's not, like, imperative. It's not like, oh, this is the canon of, of weird, obscure horror films, and you need to see this before you die. If you never see this movie, you're going to be perfectly fine. But if you see it, and if you're of the right headspace and of the right sensibilities, 
you're you're gonna get something out of it. it I had fun with it. Basically, the the premise, because it, it in in a lot of ways it's a typical sort of slasher horror movie. It starts out almost prototypical. It's it's a bunch of horny teens in the woods who get attacked by monsters. But then you realize that's the first like ten minutes of the movie, and they tell sort of the structure of an entire slasher movie in that ten minutes. And then it kind of goes on in this weird direction where. Like, you have the final girl, and it's about kind of her survival survival guilt, and the town doesn't trust her because she's the only survivor, and there's no evidence of the things that were hunting her because they're supernatural, and they took all the bodies, so all they found was this weird neon goop, which later on it's implied to be their blood. And it's, you know, she's fielding calls from the parents of the kids that are missing because they think maybe it's a prank that went wrong or something and she's keeping secrets. So there's there's an interesting dimension to this that, that you don't typically get with, with horror movies that are usually more in the moment. This is like, this is what happens after that. But then what happens after that, you, you slowly begin to realize, again, because they cut out a lot of the mythology and a lot of the world building and a lot of just the basic explanation of what the fucking neon maniacs are. And I'll get to sort of the, the specifics of them, or at least what we get. They, because they cut a lot of that stuff, you're not going to get a cohesive explanation or, or a cohesive payoff for what I think is a is a relatively interesting setup, again, for an 80s horror movie. Basically, it ends with, I'm guessing, a, a sequence that is, for the most part, like it was something that wasn't intended to be a climax, uh, but because they couldn't film their actual climax for whatever reason, I'm guessing budget, they just extended this, they took alternate cuts, and it just sort of spins its wheels and goes on and on, so this sort of middle scene becomes the end scene, or at least the, the thing right before the little end, end tag, and yeah, it just, it, it, it all kind of falls apart, it's, it's a failed Frankenstein monster of a movie that... I think that the glimmers of what I think the movie was intended to be suggest a much better movie than what we ultimately got. But that's that's getting ahead of myself. The movie, like I said, it starts out, it's a fairly typical slasher movie structure, these horny kids in the woods. But right away, and you know, I mentioned The Invisible Maniac, which I think I do that on every podcast at this point because it was so fucking bad. Again, not as bad as Mangler 2, but just it affected me with its badness. So anyway... This movie, what I, I noticed right away is, as much as these characters are introduced fairly quickly, and slight spoilers, uh, most of them die right away, I already like all these characters more than, than all the, the kids in Invisible Maniac who were supposed to be like the main heroes that I was going to follow and couldn't because they were not developed at all. These kids, just in a few lines of dialogue, they're developed, and again, not, not incredibly well, but enough that I if not care about them when they die, at least I'm interested to see who survives, and then when I find out that only one of them does, I'm like, oh, I kind of wanted to see what her relationship with that guy or that girl would have been like moving forward you know, after they survived this experience, but no, they all die, and I mean, it's it, it's a fun sequence overall, just visually, you get the your introduction to these neon maniacs, and I guess I'll explain the, the scene that happens before I explain the nature of them. You'll kind of get a sense when I post the trailer, like that, like right before this, this segment, like between the intro and the review, they, they like do this thing where they, they get, rattle off all of their names. And they do have, I mean, they're credited at least as, as having names in the credits of the movie, but not in the movie itself. You never hear, like, there's a guy named Samurai, there's a guy named Axe. You never hear them called that. They don't speak, and nobody ever refers to them. No, nobody even refers to them as the Neon Maniacs. They just refer to them as the monsters that come out at night. And so they come out just sort of randomly to, to kill these kids. And 
it's weird because when I'm watching slasher movies, it's weird when you realize how many slasher movies you've watched and how ingrained you are in that formula when you're seeing things in anticipation of what's to come. Like, a guy will be... You, you see the, the creature's walking through the woods and one of them has like a crossbow and then you see a guy standing in profile on one side of the screen and you see there's a lot of negative space and you go like well this is the perfect time for him to get an arrow in his back and then like maybe fall forward and then but then that doesn't happen and then you're watching uh, these two the guy and the girl and the girl goes down to to uh, uh give him a blowjob but you don't I mean it doesn't follow her it stays on him so it's like oh that's a good time for him to get like an arrow through the neck or something uh but no that doesn't happen and then when it does finally come down to it, like it all it all sort of happens at once, everything you're expecting. But with the blowjob, the the girl gets decapitated while she's giving the blowjob. But there's never like a like you well, I mean I'm gonna say like you don't see the dick. Why don't you see the dick? That's not what I'm complaining about, though you don't see the dick. But wouldn't that affect the dick in some way? If the woman that was giving you a blowjob suddenly had her head decapitated and her head tilted back, wouldn't she take the dick with it? I, I don't know. Maybe I mean, again, it's a it's an '80s movie that was presumably intended for the actual release. I don't know if it ever got it, but I I can't imagine it would have if there was a scene where uh, a decapitated head bit a dick off inadvertently. But I'm just saying the physics of that that action and that moment. I feel like the dick would have come off. Um, but and more than that. Again, and maybe this is again. This is another thing with like standards and practices. This would have wouldn't have been allowed in the movie. But in a modern movie, I feel like what they would have done was because again, the, the villain has a crossbow, shoots the guy through the ass, and then the arrow goes through his dick and then through the the woman's head, and then like the dick maybe even pops out of the back of the head. I'm just. I mean, I'm just throwing this out here. You know, I do this part at the end where I pitch, like, the gritty reboot of the movie. I'm saying that scene goes into the gritty reboot. That just seems like such a missed opportunity. And I understand completely why it's not in the movie. Why, if they ever thought of it at all, uh, they probably went, oh, no, there's no way we could possibly get away with that. And they, they wouldn't have. But I'm just saying, wouldn't that have been fucking awesome? Anyway, you have these kids. They all get killed by these neon maniacs. And there's one survivor, this one girl, who is sort of traumatized by the event. And then you eventually find out that these neon maniacs... And they, again, they never articulate it because they don't really articulate a lot about uh, the, the mechanics or the physics or the, the, the rules concerning these creatures. But they seem to have an ability to track anyone they've ever encountered. Anyone who got away from them, they can sort of catch their scent and follow them anywhere they go. And most of the movie is kind of this this slower burn kind of stalking sequence where the various maniacs will hunt hunt her down and sometimes she sees them but sort of just casually gets away there's a, a way that she gets away that I'll, I'll get to later they they're a reveal of sort of their weakness one of the few things they do reveal about them uh, but for the most part they're just they're continually hunting them and just slightly getting away from them there's a, a really interesting scene on a, on a train that, that that i liked that where they're going from train car to train car and they're being chased and it's sort of like how the hell are they ever going to get out of this because the monster's driving the train so it's not like he's going to stop the train to let him get off but then he just does for some reason i don't know why really but anyway the, the most of the movie is them being stalked by the neon maniacs unraveling the mystery such as it is they join up with this little kid when i say they it's the girl and then there's this guy who's sort of like a nerdy guy that's been in love with her the whole time and then they join up together and then they find this kid who's also looking for the maniacs she's like just like an amateur super eight filmmaker sort of like the kids from stranger things uh, and she's obsessed with monsters so she's hunting them down and then they all come together ultimately culminating in this battle of the bands that makes no fucking sense but I, again i'll get to that but I, I got I got to get to the neon maniacs themselves and and kind of what they are to the extent that we know what they are. 
and it's the biggest problem of the movie, at least for me. There's no through line for what the the neon maniacs are. There's no th- overriding theme other than they are creatures that want to kill people. Like they, like you don't really know what they are, but they don't even know really what they are. Like at first you think maybe they're zombies because they all look kind of undead, except some of them then look like kind of weird cavemen or maybe undead cavemen. But then they have like these weird lizard creatures that follow them around. They're the ones that take the bodies. They have these hooks and they hook them. So like there's obviously something going on here, and you're like, well, what are they doing with the bodies? Are they eating them? Is that because they're zombies or? Maybe they're like they're Frankensteining themselves, like they're undead creatures, and they have to replace body parts or something. Because you think if they were just zombies, they would just eat them there, like zombies do. But no, they're literally taking them for later, like for preservation. So you know, I don't know what. And again, the movie never explains what they're doing, but there's a lot of potential for some interesting kind of twist as to what they're doing that they never explore. And then the 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 neon maniacs themselves, they the movie, and I say seems to want to make them characters it definitely wants to make them unique individual characters to the point where the very first scene of the movie there's like a deck of i guess trading cards this this guy leafs through with all the characters on them and the thing about that is that never comes up again there's never like because like that that would imply there's like some maybe secret society behind them that's celebrating them as celebrities or something but no not nothing it's like this never comes back it's just an excuse to showcase the images of the monsters before you see them and then the guy dies and then it's just never brought up again and then the 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 neon maniacs themselves they're all dressed in various costumes like each one has a gimmick like i said there's one named axe and he has an axe there's one named samurai and he's dressed like a samurai and has a sword there's one named ape that's the caveman looking guy uh i I can just list them off because they all and a lot of them are based on their weapons but they're sort of like uh, there. Oh, here. Let me let me just go back to my notes here. There's, uh, there's ape, uh, axe, noose. When well, I think noose was hangman, but he carries a noose. Uh, there's archer, the crossbow guy, samurai. There's mohawk, a fucking Native American with a spear. There's soldier who has a gun. There's I can't remember this. There's a guy with like electrical gloves. I didn't write down his name. Then there's a biker guy with a chain. There's a doc who's like a dressed like a doctor and uses needles. Uh, there's juice, which I think might have been the melt faced one, which he didn't have another gimmick really. He just had a really fucked up melty face. And then there's like the lizard creatures. I think they were called the scavengers in the credits. But again, none of this is referred to in the movie proper. Nobody ever says like, "Oh, that's ape. Apes after me." No, nobody says, "Oh, that horrible racist Native American stereotype is chasing me with a spear." And I'll get to that. But they want to have character to them but they don't have time or the inclination more the inclination to establish these characters so they just look like they were just rejects from a costume shop like they went into a costume shop and just found a bunch of gimmicky costumes and said oh these are our monsters and i say this because i was the writer on a short film called detective cop where we literally did this but as a joke the premise was uh we well we did the 48-hour film festival, which is this thing where you, you pick a random genre, or in th- that case, like like a, a random t- uh, duo of genres, and then you get a random line of dialogue, a random prop, a random uh, uh, character that you have to include. And we got that year, uh, Twins was our character, or like a, a character who was a twin, I forget his name. And then you had, the, the genre was detective slash cop. So we just did a movie called Detective Cop, where a detective and a cop are caught in an explosion and then Frankenstein together into the ultimate police officer, Detective Cop. And then at the end, he he comes up against his archenemy, Dr. Scientist, who is a similarly Frankenstein mad scientist, and then he has created a troop of villains 
who are basically just weird combinations of whatever costumes we could find. So there was like sailor ballerina and uh, I think it was like Dr. Emo kid or something. It was just whatever outfits we could find. And that was the joke of the movie. That's what this movie does, but it isn't a joke. It's literally just like, whatever the fuck they are, that's what they are. And we're not going to bother explaining it. That's the problem with Neon Maniacs, is I'm constantly taken out of the movie because I'm like, what? why is he a fucking Native American? And and you, you get down to it, it's like, well, there's a Native American, there's a, a biker, There, this looks like the village people of the damned. And, and then... You just, it, it, it's, it, I mean, it's not as cohesive necessarily as my Matango Gilligan's Island connections, but this feels like if you made a horror movie out of the concept of the village people, a bunch of people in weird random costumes, there's a soldier, technically not a Navy guy, but you know, it, it, it's there. There's something there. And I know there's actually a horror movie called You Can't Stop the Murder, I think. Based, it's sort of like the village people, but a slasher movie, which it's on my list. It, I'm going to watch it eventually. It uh, came out a couple years ago. I think it's like a like a gay themed horror movie i only say that because i i think it's like they, they they stress that the fact that they're they're gay guys getting killed but like this feels like like the prototypical version of that which is so fucking weird that there's two movies that you can you could call village people horror movies uh, but anyway other than the fact that they're dressed in these various costumes it doesn't like it doesn't they don't have characters so it doesn't add to their character it's not like the samurai commits harry carry at the end or or has like an honor code or something that you can attach to it and then that can inform some kind of plot or backstory about the who they are as people they're just well these guys can kill all these people i guess and 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 you get the sense that that maybe there there was some connection to it. Maybe there was something they were gonna reveal, and then they just didn't have the time or the budget to film that scene where they revealed it. And so it just kind of we get a battle of the bands that lasts like twenty fucking minutes. And I'll just get to that because that's really the only other interesting thing about the movie. Well, the other thing is the Neon Maniacs. You like I said, you you find out they do have a weakness, and the the first hint of it is. After the, the the scene where all her friends are killed, the, the main girl, the final girl, she's in her swimming pool. She's sort of relaxing, trying to forget the, the trauma. And there's a, a, kind of an interesting moment where she, she falls asleep. It's like a nightmare sequence. You don't see her fall asleep. It's just she's in the pool, and then it starts raining blood. But then, of course, of course it turns into a dream sequence. But then you find Ape, the caveman. And I keep referencing Ape, the caveman, because he's one of the odd men out. It's like you can think, like, oh, maybe these are zombies, and maybe they're based around certain weaponry. But then you have the, the like, Doc. He's a doctor. What That doesn't fit the scheme. And then Ape isn't even really a zombie. Or maybe he's a zombie. I don't know. But it just doesn't really fit. So anytime they try to establish a theme, even just visually, it doesn't. it's not consistent. But anyway, Ape's hunting her and, and watching her in the pool, but he can't go in the pool for some reason. And you eventually find out that the reason for that, and it's the same reason why they, they left her alive, because it started raining. And their their weakness is water. You know, very much like the aliens from from Signs. You know, this world that has so much moisture and so much water, these supernatural creatures are 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 weak to water. That being said, it's not as stupid as Signs because these are explicitly supernatural rather than sci-fi creatures. Like aliens that come to Earth wouldn't come to a if they were weak to water, they wouldn't come to a planet with so much water on it. These these characters are supernatural, so there's magic involved. It's sort of wishy-washy in terms of the mechanics of it. So you can believe that, well, you know, they're fucked. They're just, they're weak to water. But then you find out they live under the Golden Gate Bridge. Why would they choose a place next to the water to live in if if they were weak to water? If, if water was their one weakness, if water made them melt, 
You'd think they'd choose the driest spot. You'd think they'd go to, like, Arizona or something, right? Or at least if they're stuck in California, whatever the driest spot in California is. I imagine there are many. It's it's a fairly hot and dry place, or at least parts of it are. But no, they live in the under the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Kind of a dumb plan, guys. Uh, but anyway, and, but that leads to a, a cool scene where the, the little girl, the, the Super 8 Stranger Things girl, she realizes this. She's hiding in the bushes and she sees one of them fall down into a puddle and his hand like melts. And so she puts it together. And then she also knows that, that they, they're tracking them, that they can kind of catch their scent. And, and so she's going to be hunted eventually. So she prepares herself. She has all this water in her room. She has a squirt gun and then she has a bucket of water she throws on him. And then, and because well, one of them, the melty face guy, hunts her down to her, to her own bedroom. And it's a sufficiently creepy scene, the idea that these monsters can find you anywhere and are hunting this little kid. But she's already, she's, already had this plan to get him basically into the bathtub and then turn the shower on and then he melts and it's a it's a cool effect uh but it's a it's a really dumb idea and it leads to the dumbest thing in the movie well one of two dumb things about the movie that all take place at the same time where there's this battle of the bands i keep mentioning it because the movie keeps mentioning it even though all of these characters are like we're being hunted by monsters this is the thing we got to focus on how to get away from these fucking monsters they just chased us on this train they 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 have our scent they can find us anywhere and they're they're deadly and we don't know anything about them because the movie won't tell us anything about them but that but we we were going to do that battle of the bands right so let we still got to do that right and they try to half justify it cuz they do it cuz i guess the guy the nerdy kid that's like the the male lead He's in the Battle of the Bands. He's the lead singer of, like, this shitty fucking 80s band that is battling this other shitty 80s band. And they never question, like, no, we gotta fucking cancel this thing because of, of monsters, right? No, they go, oh, well, we know that they're weak to water now, so let's, let's, all, let's hand out squirt guns at the beginning of the Battle of the Bands. And then when the monsters come to find us, as we know they will because they've been hunting us throughout the entire movie... So what we'll do is we'll hand out squirt guns to all the, the people there at the the Battle of the Bands, and then when the monsters come, they will squirt them with the squirt guns and kill them. Although, we won't actually tell anybody that this is the plan. We'll hand out squirt guns and we'll treat it like it's a funny prop, just, you know, like a, a, a complimentary gift or something. So then when the monsters come, they won't know to squirt them with the squirt guns. And we won't think to maybe use the sprinkler system or anything like that that might actually be effective, because the squirt guns are really small anyway, but we're not going to tell them. So invariably the monsters come nobody goes oh use your squirt no somebody actually says use your squirt guns one of the one of the people actually the, the lead singer the guy he's like use your squirt guns use your squirt guns what why you didn't explain this to them they don't know what the fuck why would they go oh these monsters are killing people i'm gonna squirt it with a squirt gun it would never occur to me or anybody that to do that that's you told me and even if you told me yeah i probably wouldn't believe you that oh yeah monsters and squirt guns whatever but as soon as the monsters came i'd at least try the squirt gun if you told me about it but all of that is just just icing on the dumb cake of why did they go to the battle of the bands in the first place why why not cancel that and then figure out a way fight the monsters first kill the monsters and then say hey you know that battle of the bands we had to cancel because we had to kill these neon maniacs now we'll do it. Now that we're safe from the Neon Maniacs, we will perform this Battle of the Bands with this shitty 80s music for fucking 20 goddamn minutes. I know I complained about the song in Tokyo Drifter, and I've, I've complained about music before. This this is just fucking unbearable. It's two of the shittiest 80s bands. Well, I say two of the shittiest 80s bands. You've never heard of either of these 80s bands because they were so shitty that even in the annals of shitty 80s music, these guys never caught on. I wonder why. But anyway, you have this battle of the bands. The monsters come and they they uh, kill everybody. Well, they kill a bunch of people. They I think they actually said like they kill fifty people, 
and three cops. One of whom is actually Lutan from the uh, the episode Code of Honor from Star Trek: The Next Generation. I just had that in my notes. Uh, Lutan, if you don't remember Code of Honor, it's the the worst episode of any Star Trek show ever. It was the really racist planet they go to. It's like the third episode of Next Generation, and uh, Lutan was the main guy, and he's a cop in this movie that gets. Actually, I don't think you see him get killed. You see his partner get killed, but I don't think you ever see Lutan again. Uh, I'm just I'm noticing shit like that. I notice Star Trek actors all the time. Actually, I forgot to mention that in Project Metal Beast, the guy who played Bruce Maddox, the scientist that wanted to take Data apart in uh, Measure of a Man, he was a random guy who got killed by the werewolf. I, I, I forgot to mention that, but I think I'll point that out anytime I see a Star Trek actor, or at least a, a random obscure one that, that didn't seem to do much else. I don't think either of these guys did much else after that. I think they're both retired, actually. But anyway... Uh, a lot of these people get killed. This battle of the bands, and then the the neon maniacs are going through the school hunting for you know people that the stragglers that ran away, and the guy and the girl, the main guy and the girl, are running away, and they go to the science room, and then they're hunt, hiding from I think it's the noose guy, and they successfully hide from him. He seems to leave, and then they just decide to start fucking on the science classroom floor, like and they're not even really safe yet. Like he's like just outside the door, and they're like, oh that was close. Wow, I'm falling in love with you. Let's fuck right here and now, even though we're still very much in danger. Because even if that guy doesn't hear the sound of of our powerful fucking on this linoleum floor, one of the other ones probably will. I'm sorry, it's just that when I say that the second half of this movie falls apart, it's night and day. It's a spectacular failure. And not, which isn't to say that the, the beginning of the movie was, like, amazing, but the beginning of the movie was serviceable. It was solid. I was getting into it. I was enjoying it. And as much as I liked... The, the the first part, the second part almost spit in my face with how terrible it was. And I understand the reason for it, so I'm not judging the movie as harshly as I otherwise might, but because I know that they were just trying to cobble something together, you know, based on the footage they had. So I, I, I feel like it's it's almost unfair for me to judge it, but I, can't, I just can't get away with just how barely watchable it is. I wouldn't say unwatchable. It's not The Mangler 2. It's not Invisible Maniac. It's not Project Metal Beast, which I don't know if I actually qualified that as entirely unwatchable. I mean, Barry Bostwick was good in it. I'm gonna say that's gonna be my my runner every time I think back on the Project Metal Beast and reference it on the podcast. I'll go, yeah, well, Barry Bostwick was good in it. Oh, that was a shitty movie. And this was this was for the most part a shitty movie. I like I said, unless you were a completionist or a horror obsessive, in which case there's probably just enough for you. If you're not, you're gonna hate this movie. You're, you're, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna fall apart right in front of you, and you're not gonna see the efficacy of it if you're not really into this kind of movie. So I would not, I would not recommend Neon Maniacs to anyone. You know, like I said, there's a lot of potential. There are a lot of things that that could have been explored more and and given more weight and, and would have made for a more interesting movie. I think what this movie reminded me of in a lot of ways is Clive Barker's Nightbreed, like a really sort of cheap shitty version of that movie, which I actually like, or at least I remember liking it. I haven't seen it in years, and I've never watched the the director's cut that came out recently, which I don't know if that's supposed to be better or worse, but at least closer to Clive Barker's vision of what the movie should be. But it's a similar sort of idea of like this kind of secret society of monsters living underneath man's world, only they're more sympathetic, and obviously they have more character to them. They're not just killers. But this, and then just the idea of that kind of the gimmicky different looks about them, and I don't know, this this reminded me of like like a like a, a shitty attempt to make a movie like that, and I feel like if just a little more time and a little more money and a little more more professionalism spent on it could have could have gotten us something at least like that. But uh, we didn't get there. Instead, we got the Neon Maniacs, and you know it is what it is. It should it should just it should 
just stay where it is, stay in obscurity. It shouldn't be a cult movie. It shouldn't be a movie that, that you hear about and go, oh, oh, I think I need to see that. I think that could be something good. It's not good. Uh, but that's The Neon Maniacs. And now I'm going to pause the podcast here and I'm going to come back and I'm going to uh, develop my, my 10-point cinematic universe for this movie that doesn't deserve one. We should do something. What do you suggest? I don't know. The police? They didn't believe you last time. You think they would now? She's right. Four kids and who listens to kids? If only something showed up on my tape. Wait a minute. The band competition is tonight. Right. What did you say? You said that that water kills these freaks? All right. Now, if we can get enough squirt guns for the kids to dance tonight... It'd be the safest place to be. And I'm back. And I have my 10-point plan for the multimedia franchise for Neon Maniacs, which was harder than I thought, given how how little mythology was here. I, I kind of like that because I can build it out myself and invent stuff, but then I have to actually do the work of doing that and, and inventing things, and, and that's uh, really hard when I, I didn't care about the movie and I'm not really feeling all that creative right now. But I'm going to do my best because that's what the podcast is about. So uh, first and foremost, spoilers from this point forward. I, I didn't really care about not spoiling this movie because it was shit, but there's probably some stuff I left out, and I, I, I'm, I can't leave anything unspoiled after this because I'm pitching sequels and prequels so I'm going to have to reveal stuff about the ending and so forth uh, so well, the ending of this not so much but uh, if you don't want to be spoiled any more than you already have stop listening now uh, maybe watch the movie or don't I would recommend don't and then come back and then uh, or well, I guess if you don't watch it don't, don't bother pausing it but then listen to me pitch out my cinematic universe anyway you got a good idea what the movie is uh, so anyway spoilers abound and then also I have an email address and a website if you found me through iTunes, please subscribe, please rate, review, all that stuff. But you can also find this podcast on its official website. It's Well, I say official. It's a Blogspot website. It's headcanonpodcast.blogspot.com, H-E-A-D-C-A-N-N-O-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.blogspot.com. That's canon spelled with two N's, like the military instrument because I was trying to be clever and it didn't really work out too well because now I have to spell it out every time. But anyway, that's the website. And I have an email address, headcanonpodcast at gmail.com. Spelled the same way, canon with two N's, headcanonpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please send comments, questions, insults, and most importantly, requests. If you want to request a movie for me to review, I will do that as long as I can afford it and as long as it isn't a snuff film, I will uh, watch it review it, and then build out the cinematic universe for it, so that is an option for you. Uh, so anyway, that's all out of the way. That's all the, the uh, preliminary stuff, and so I start, as, as I do every week, with the sequel. The sequel to Neon Maniacs, or my proposed sequel to Neon Maniacs, and again, I, I want to build out some of the mythology of this movie and just sort of explain what these fucking Neon Maniacs are, because, you know, ultimately... I mean, even, I mean, a lot of movies have very slight explanations. They'll have, like, one flashback sequence. Like, Jason, oh, he drowned in the thing, and then the mom takes over, and then later on it's just sort of not explained why Jason's back. You know, it's just enough. It's just what you need to justify watching this guy kill all these teenagers. And this gives you nothing for these characters. And it's it's really just telling. And, and when I say that they were going to build out the mythology but couldn't film that stuff, that's just a supposition on the part of the, the information that I read. The, nobody really remembers, like, the original script. A lot of the actors, when they talk about it, they're like, I don't know, maybe there was stuff in there. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't going to explain what these creatures were, you know, and it was just gonna, always going to be left ambiguous. In which case, 
I mean, that would almost make me hate what we got in the movie more. I'm, I'm giving this movie a lot more leeway based on the fact that it's sort of cobbled together from a bunch of, you know, footage that was meant to be something else. But, you know, it's possible that, that the stuff they didn't get to film was just more action stuff, more kills and so forth. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to try to, to build out the mythology of these, these neon maniacs to justify their existence. You know, and going back to the, the Golden Gate Bridge, and I, I was doing research on... on the, the history of the Golden Gate Bridge, apparently it's one of the, the biggest suicide spots in the world, along with there's a forest in Japan. There's actually a movie called Versus, which is set in that forest. I, I think, I don't know if that Natalie Dormer movie, The Forest, was also set there or not. Uh, but the Golden Gate Bridge, a lot of people killed themselves on it to the point where they have signs like every few feet saying like, hey, please don't kill yourself. If you're thinking about killing yourself, here's a phone you can call a, a, the hotline. Here's the number. And I think they have patrols and volunteers and stuff. Uh, but anyway, a lot of people want to kill themselves on the Golden Gate Bridge. Apparently, it's it's high enough where there's like no way to survive if you fall. I think I, I again a lot of that stuff is apocryphal. I don't know, but I'm saying we kind of explain the reason for that, and that links to the reason why the creatures live there. And so th there's there was like some kind of demonic ritual back in I don't know the 50s, 60s, uh, where some a, a guy was was worshiping some demon and needed to sacrifice a bunch of people in like a suicide pact like a cult or something but he didn't have a cult he was just one guy so he wanted to trick the, the system by getting unwilling unknowing participants and killing them and specifically burning them alive he was a bus driver and he was driving a bus full of people who were going to a halloween party hence them all being in these weird disparate costumes and then he, he stops it on the golden gate bridge and I'll get to why it's the Golden Gate Bridge in my prequel pitch, because there's like sort of more significance to that. But he stops it on the Golden Gate Bridge, basically gets out of the car, sets him on fire, and then leaps into the flames himself to kill himself, thinking that he, that as a result he's going to sort of bring this demon into physical form. But it, because they weren't willing participants, it doesn't work quite right, and instead all of them become like these kind of walking dead zombie creatures they're not quite zombies they they have more intelligence to them but uh but they don't speak and they, they they're just out out to kill indiscriminately uh, so the idea is that that would be the genesis of these characters as part of this botched ritual sacrifice demonic possession thing you know and maybe they're sort of like more like deadites i guess you know they're more like possessed corpses rather than zombies uh and then that that that's the setup you know you get that in flashback and then also kind of fills in a hole where they never, I don't think, explicitly state that it is around Halloween in the movie, the original movie. Because I'm saying it's like an anniversary thing. Like, 50 years later, they come back or whatever. And that's that's also why, like, it's never explained. Like, if these creatures were just living in the Golden Gate Bridge all the time, why haven't they been murdering for all for however long they've been there? Why does it seem like they're only just appearing now? So I'm saying it's like, like I said, like an anniversary of, of the event. I'm, I'm saying... Maybe the bus was like bus number 15, so like every 15 years they come back or something like that. And they also never explain, like, oh, it must be Halloween because the Battle of the Bands, they're all dressed in costume. And that's why nobody questions why the Neon Maniacs are also appear to be in costume because it's Halloween. But nobody ever says, hey, this is the Halloween Battle of the Bands or, hey, Halloween's coming up. It's never referenced at all in the movie, at least as far as I can remember. It's just, it, I guess you're just supposed to assume that. So I'm saying this was, a, this did happen on Halloween. And maybe even the demon is like Samhain, like the, the, the demonic spirit that was worshipped on Halloween. I think that was the case. Samhain was the, the original holiday, but I think it was also named after like a demon they were worshipping. I could be completely imagining that. I could be filling in mythology from the real Ghostbusters cartoon where that was the case. And also I believe there was an episode of Supernatural that did that as well. Uh, but anyway, it's on Halloween. It's the anniversary, the 15th or whatever anniversary of this happening. So the Neon Maniacs are, are able to come back. 
and the main characters in the movie would be again going back to the the, the Golden Gate Bridge and its morbid history of suicides one of these sort of death tours where these people who are obsessed with, with various morbid locations that are like the sites of murders and so forth and the Golden Gate Bridge is on that because of all the suicides you know people some people believe that it's haunted so this this death tour uh, is is traveling through San Francisco going to all these different places and they settle on the Golden Gate Bridge and they get attacked by the neon maniacs and that's when they the neon maniacs catch their scent and begin hunting them throughout the rest of the movie uh, but I'm thinking maybe that you you kind of reveal like a twist like it's actually not the neon maniacs after all it's like that they became legend after the first movie you know and then I, I forgot to mention the end of the first movie again a very tacked on ending the cop they tell the cops like oh no they're there they live under the Golden gate bridge we got to kill them and so they go there but they're they're not there the cops the cops haven't believed the kids the whole movie and then this is like the final thing like oh they're fucking with us there are no monsters here and then the main cop guy just gets dragged into a, a bus that's sitting in there and they then gets killed that's that's the whole ending it's very abrupt it's not very good uh, but anyway since then that's become sort of an urban legend the ne- the neon maniacs that, that killed all these kids in this high school and so the 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 death tours are playing on that they're they're hunting these kids and killing them i mean they're 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 hunting the kids because they also worship the same demon the guy did and they want to continue they want to complete the resurrection and complete it properly so as a result they're disguising themselves as the neon maniacs and hunting these kids i'm saying in order to maybe get them somewhere uh, and I'm, I'm also thinking like it's if you ever saw that buffy episode halloween where all the kids turn into their costumes where it's something like that where they get them all to a halloween party and then they enact the ritual and as a result you know all these halloween costumes come to life and they all become these sort of undead neon maniacs who develop s- special abilities based on whatever costume they were wearing and it becomes this this kind of massacre where maybe half the people turn and half the people are, are victims and I don't know, maybe so many victims have to die to complete the ritual or something like that. I, I don't know exactly what the rules would be, but the idea is it would be this, this death tour group uh, hunting these victims. And at first, that would be, the, again, the, the twist. Like, you wouldn't, you would think they were the original inv- uh, Neon Maniacs, but it, it turns out they're in disguise. But then you get actual Neon Maniacs at the end, and you get a bunch of new characters based on all new kinds of costumes you can have. Uh, but anyway, I don't, I don't know how to go, where to go from there. That, that would just be my, my basic idea of how to continue this franchise and give it a little more... Uh, a little more depth, or at least, well, maybe not depth, just explain the, the, the ideas behind it a little more, because, like I said, you get nothing in the original movie, and that gets me to prequel, and this is where I kind of went a little crazy, I, uh, I went into, because I was looking at, the, like, the, you know, the death tour stuff, the, the morbid history of the Golden Gate Bridge, and I just, in my head, I kept thinking, I had the phrase, Golden Gates to Hell, in my head, and I realized, and I, I didn't know this. I mean, I knew like like Alcatraz is fairly close to the Golden Gate Bridge, and there's like a straight line to it essentially. And I, I that made me think of like when they talk about how the Masons built all these cities. Like, there's this theory about Washington D.C. and how it's shaped in a very like a ritualistic fashion, and all the monuments are placed in very specific places, and it's this sort of hidden Freemason plot. And and so like that that kind of got me thinking like like the idea that, that Alcatraz and the Golden Gate Bridge are, are right next to each other and there's a straight line almost like like if you if like you think like like the Sauron Tower and it can shoot a beam through the two towers and that can create some sort of something like that where like maybe the lighthouse on Alcatraz can shoot between the two pillars of the Golden Gate Bridge and that's some kind of part of a demonic ritual that the Freemasons planned and then I realized well I I didn't know this at, at the time. 
but the Bohemian Grove is also fairly close to both the Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz. The Bohemian Grove, if you don't know what it is, it's basically where all these rich elite people go to have gay sex. Or at least that's what Nixon said. A lot of conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones try to say, like, oh, this is where they plan their their you know, their world domination and so forth. Yeah, which might might be the case. Like I said, Nixon uh, when he went, he went there, and then he said that was the gayest place I've ever been to. It's just a bunch of dudes fucking. So I'm thinking it's more rich people indulging in their sexual appetites in ways that they can't in normal society. Uh, Eyes wide shut is sort of based on that. The you know the the weird masks and, and orgy scenes and stuff. And I'm assuming yeah, Alex Jones is like, oh yeah, that this is the the secret cabal, which I'm assuming he does in between jerking off the tranny porn on his phone and pretending that Newtown victims didn't exist. Uh, but anyway. The Bohemian Grove is also in, I don't know if it's in San Francisco or if it's close to there, but it's its fairly close to these other two landmarks I'm talking about. So I'm saying it's all part of the same secret plot, the, the Bohemian Grove, Satan-worshipping cultists. And they do, they, they worship like an owl god and they do like mock sacrifices and stuff. Some would say maybe real sacrifices. Supposedly they're just mock sacrifices where they hire an actress to supposedly get killed but doesn't get killed. But you never know, they're rich. Maybe they, they paid for an actual sacrifice. But anyway... Uh, they paid to they they originally paid for the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge as this kind of consecrated demonic portal, where and they they did the same for Alcatraz and like I said the lighthouse will shine a light in through the portal and create a portal to some Lovecraftian hellish world, and so I'm saying this the story the prequel is the the first experiment to try to do this where. I'm saying it's shortly after Alcatraz was closed. I want to say that it was the late 60s, early 70s, maybe, where it's but before it became a tourist attraction. So it's just an abandoned island prison, and the 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 plot revolves around this kind of rich, elitist, wealthy dude that's like you know, part of the Bohemian Grove, and he hires a group of thieves to break into the abandoned Alcatraz prison, based on what I I believe are actual rumors that there's a stash of hidden gold somewhere on the premises. I could just be conflating that with that shitty mid-2000s J.J. Abrams show Alcatraz in which there was secret gold in Alcatraz but I think that was based on a real urban legend so I'm saying that they are hunting that urban legend there's a bunch of these thieves break into Alcatraz to find the secret gold not realizing that they're actually there to be the sacrifice uh, for these this this first group of neon maniacs that are basically summoned from the corpses of various prisoners that were killed and buried on the on the island specifically for this purpose people who worked for Alcatraz were part of this cult they were planning on it so like anytime somebody would die secretly where they could cover it up or sometimes they just flat out murder people and then they'd bury them on the island in preparation for them being resurrected as neon maniac zombies as part of this ritual where they would then sacrifice these uh, people that were brought there as as the sacrifice and then that would somehow unlock that would that would maybe create the demonic energy that would flow through the lighthouse, send it through the Golden Gate Bridge, and create that portal. And it's the story of these thieves trying to survive the night. And that's the, the other idea is why they're weak to waters, because they want to keep the Neon Maniacs on the island, because their impulse would be to just spread out and kill. But they engineered the water weakness so that they would be stuck on Alcatraz and only have these very specific, uh, very specifically planned uh, sacrificial characters to kill and then they'd be stuck on the island and all their energies could be harvested because like they, the idea is they absorb the, the demonic energies through 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 murder and that's why they're all based around weapons and implements of violence because they are creatures created to uh, create energy out of violence by by murdering these these sacrifices so uh, and obviously then, then it's about the thieves escaping and, and tr- trying to escape Alcatraz the unescapable prison which is now unescapable because it's full of zombies and uh, trying to stop this uh, ritual from taking place via the Golden Gate Bridge 
And I don't know how maybe a couple of them just get away on a boat and then decide to live in the Golden Gate Bridge because of the demonic energies infused within it. Maybe that's the ending and that sets up... Well, actually, I guess not. I guess it wouldn't have to. If if, if I'm saying the sequel creates them via the, the Halloween costumes, maybe you don't even have to do that. Maybe this is just the, the reason why the Golden Gate Bridge is significant to the story. Uh, but anyway, that would be my prequel. And that gets me to spinoff. And for the spinoff, I want to focus on one of the Neon Maniacs I th- maybe two of them. Maybe there's two of them. I don't know. There's a screenshot online that I saw when I was looking up stuff about this movie where two of these creatures were sitting, standing next to each other, but I don't remember that scene in the film itself. So I'm thinking there's just one of them. They're called the scavenger, but that's, that's the thing. They're also billed as, as pluralized scavengers. And they're these little lizard creatures that follow the neon maniacs around and they have hooks and they are the ones that, that drag the bodies away. They hook them and they, they drag them away and you never find out why. My theory is that the neon maniacs are corpses and they're rotting and pieces of them are falling off constantly. So they have to like Frankenstein themselves. They need new corpses to replenish their bodies and they'll like stitch them on, uh, and the reason I think that is there's a point in the movie where they, they sever the Native American stereotype's hand, mo- uh, Mohawk, they cut his arm off, and then later on he comes back and she explicitly says, like, that, that's that, that Indian, but his arm is back. So I'm thinking the way, the reason his arm is back is because he sewed another arm on, and that's, that's what these scavengers do. They scavenge for parts. But I'm saying uh, post-Neon Maniacs, one of these scavengers gets away, gets, gets lost, uh, or, or maybe the maniacs are all killed. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe after the, the police officer is killed at the end of the... Uh, the police chief, rather, is killed at the end of the first movie, they realize, oh, these are real. So they go back and they just hunt them down, uh, sort of like Nightbreed, where the, the 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 southern... I think they're like the Southern Cross or something, some weird uh, militia group hunts them down. Uh, and so that's all the neon maniacs are dead, except for one of these scavengers, which is left with you know, the impulse to scavenge parts to, to build neon maniacs, but has no neon maniacs to help build. So he just kind of wanders around, and eventually he finds his way into like the garage or barn or something of a family, and a little kid finds him. And it becomes basically like a horror movie version of E.T., where the, the scavenger creature, and he looks kind of cute. He's like a, like a little lizard man with like one eye. He's like a cyclops. And the kid, like he's nice to the kid, and I don't know, maybe maybe that's a thing. Maybe they don't go after kids, so he doesn't consider him a threat or doesn't think to hook him. But any, for whatever reason, he befriends this kid, and the kid befriends the monster, and, is, and the kid's protecting him because he thinks you know, if the outside world finds him, they'll experiment on him, and it becomes like an E.T. thing. Only, unlike E.T., more like Night Skies, the movie E.T. was going to be before they turned it into a family movie, the creature is evil. And in this case, it's hooking characters from the neighborhood dragging away victims in order to build a new family of neon maniacs from the ground up Frankenstein style uh, which it's, it's not supposed to do it that way it's supposed to just replace parts from these creatures that already exist but because in, in this creature's mind it doesn't know it just it just wants its friends back so it's going to build them from scratch and build them from pieces from other people so he has this kind of weird secret army slowly building army of, of Frankenstein monsters created from people in the neighborhood and that's of course the culmination the big the sort of third act uh, set piece where they all kind of explode and, and ramp page through the, through the town and the kid has to decide like oh well my friend has done this and my friend is secretly evil but i still love him what do i do do i fight back do i do i kill him do i hunt him? and that's like sort of the tragic end to it where he has to fight his friend and and turn against him and, and ultimately kill him so that he stops killing people and uh, that that's my spinoff i don't have more than that uh, but i think that's a really cool twist on a, on a, a well-worn formula like a, a mac and me sort of pastiche uh, but anyway that's that and that gets me to crossover and 
this one, you know, the last couple episodes, I've been like, you know, the crossovers have been actually pretty good. You know, they, they started out kind of shitty and silly, and now I, I feel like I've gotten a hang of it. And then I, I got to this one, and it's, it, it's, it's back to stupid again. Because <laughs> I was trying to think... I, I, again, I, whenever I get like a supernatural creature movie like this, the easy out is to just say like they cross over with the Ghostbusters and the Ghostbusters start hunting them or John Constantine starts hunting them. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to cop out. So I, I tried to focus on like elements of the, the, the concept and how I could translate them to other stories. And I settled on this idea that they're hunters and uh, the new Predator movie you know, is, uh, of this year. It's this idea that they can catch your scent, or maybe it's a magical sort of sixth sense, but they can find you wherever you go, uh, unless you're swimming in a swimming pool, obviously. But wouldn't the government want something like this, like a like a magical bloodhound whenever they're hunting like dissidents or just people who are against the government, people who are maybe like whistleblowers or whatever? Uh, you know, and I'm, so I was trying to think of like a government conspiracy movie. I was thinking maybe Conspiracy Theory, the Mel Gibson movie. But ultimately, I settled on Enemy of the State, the Will Smith, Gene Hackman movie, where you know they have this this system that can track you anywhere you go. But you know, obviously, at the end of the movie, I think they disable that system, don't they? I I don't really remember that, but I'm assuming they do because they're the good guys and the system is the bad guys. Even though now we've basically given up on privacy and we don't care that uh, governments and corporations know everything about our lives because that makes our lives easier even though it also makes them less safe. But anyway, uh, Enemy of the State, that world, they stop the uh, the, the big satellite thing that, that can track people. So that government agency is like, well, we still want to track and kill people. I mean, we're not, we didn't stop wanting to do that just because they stopped the one way we came up with. So we got to find another way. Oh, wait, what if we have this these this group of weird monsters hunt our, our uh, whistleblowers for us? So they kidnap the Neon Maniacs and train them to be like government bloodhounds. And Will Smith's character, who is now like the Gene Hackman character, he's grown up into this paranoid, you know, guy. Who, I mean, he's legitimately paranoid because the people are out to get him. And they decide, well, we're going to get that guy who, who thwarted our original plans. We're going to send the Neon Maniacs after him. So it's it's Will Smith on the run from the Neon Maniacs. And that might not sound too stupid to you, but then I got deeper into it and it got really stupid because then I'm thinking like, well, that's one facet of the government that wants to use supernatural magical creatures as part of its aims. And maybe it's already doing that with other supernatural stuff. Maybe this is just the, the part of the government that does that. Like they reformed after they lost their satellite tracking system, whatever. They're like, well, now we're just going to fucking, we're going to be the Thule Society from the Nazis and just come up with all this, this magical shit to use against the American people. Uh, but there's also another facet of the government that is more the sci-fi equivalent of that. And it's the Men in Black, also starring Will Smith. They're the guys who handle aliens and extraterrestrial tech and, and threats and things. So they notice all this stuff's going on, and they're like, well, they, we have this other agency that's basically gone rogue and is using magic to hunt people down on American soil. And, you know, we can't have that happen. We can't have them horning in on our high-concept uh, buddy cop movie glory. So uh, Will Smith from Men in Black goes after Will Smith from Enemy the State and he needs a new partner because Tommy Lee Jones's character is dead. He's like, oh, why, not, why don't you come with me, guy who suspiciously looks just like me? And we're and so it's going to be sci-fi versus magic, uh, undercover, underground, on the streets of, I don't know, New York City or wherever it's set. But, you know, the idea that it's, it's all this stuff just under the surface, uh, only it's, it's aliens versus magical monsters and Will Smith teamed up with Will Smith. And then maybe Rip Torn comes back or... I think no no he I think he got replaced in the third movie was it Tony Collette 
or no, it was Emma Thompson. I always mix up Tony Collette and Emma Thompson. But uh, she comes back and she's like, oh, and by the way, remember that time machine from that shitty third movie nobody likes? We can jump off the building. They have to do that. They have to go back in time. But they go. They have to go back in time to the wild, wild west, and they meet another Will Smith. So it's three Will Smiths teaming up through time to fight aliens and supernatural monsters, and they all get jiggy with it. That's my crossover. And it's probably the dumbest one I've ever come up with for this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I think I kind of lost track of the Neon Maniacs in that Neon Maniacs crossover pitch. It just more became more of a Will Smith thing, but uh, hey, that's what you get sometimes when the movie kind of sucks. And that gets me to the gritty reboot where I talk about how the movie could maybe not suck as much if we remade it today. And this one is not so much a gritty, gritty reboot, uh, but I, I think I do have a good idea. If you know who David Robert Mitchell is, he's the director of It Follows. And I got a lot of, well, maybe I wouldn't say I got a lot of It Follows vibes, but when I started thinking about uh, the, what the reboot should be, I kept coming back to It Follows just because you have this 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 foreboding sense of these monsters that are, are always going to find you, they have your scent, and they can track you anywhere. And that's, of course, the, the most prevalent source of, of dread in... Uh, it follows, which if you don't know, it follows. The movie came out a couple years ago about this curse that is sexually transmitted and this creepy sort of creature that can appear as anyone. I guess I don't. They didn't really establish a lot of rules, much like the Neon Maniacs, as to what it could be and what it could do or how to kill it. It, it wasn't a movie that I enjoyed, frankly. But in terms of the atmosphere and just the the technical acumen, I think uh, this director could uh, do a lot uh, a lot of good with this. Uh, David Robert Mitchell. Uh, it Follows also had a, a nice kind of 80s aesthetic to it. It wasn't necessarily set in the 80s. In fact, I think it might have been set in the near future because they have like weird kind of technology. But the tone of it and, and the look of it is is very much a throwback to the 80s. So I think you just you just do that tone for, for this as well. You have you know, maybe even bring back uh, Micah Monroe, I think is the actress's name, the, the lead in that movie. I'm thinking for the younger, the, the, the Super 8 girl, I'm saying like Millie Bobby Brown, maybe throw in some Stranger Things. I mean, this I didn't, I didn't even think of the Duffer Brothers, honestly, now that I think about that. But uh, yeah, either of those would work for this. Just you know, make it kind of an 80s throwback, but make it the good 80s movie that this bad 80s movie wasn't. And you can still have the crazy monsters and, and the gimmicks and shit, but just kind of do it better, I guess, I, I always fall into that trap with the reboot, it's like, I want to just redo it, but better, you know, and so it's more of a recast than a reboot anymore, but, uh, I, and, I, and even though I say I didn't really like it follows that well, I, I think he can make a good movie, I just, I, I think there were too many structural problems with that movie, just on a conceptual level, there are too many unanswered questions, I, I don't, I don't go into my full review for It Follows, just suffice to say, I, I want more concrete explanations for things than that movie was willing to provide, but I don't really care so much about Neon Maniacs as a thing, so let him do it, and maybe it'll be a little better, uh, but that's, that's my gritty reboot, I, I guess, sorry, that, that maybe wasn't too great, but, uh, on to the next thing. That gets me to the back half, which is all the stuff that isn't movies, TV shows, video games, and so forth. And for my TV show, I had a couple of ideas. I don't have one that I'm really settled on that I, I really like. I'm thinking back on like a wind named Amnesia where I had a whole five-year plan and it was like the longest thing. This, it's just a couple of ideas I'm throwing out there. If you've ever read, I think it's called Hacks is the comic book. And it's sort of like a, a serial killer uh, supernatural comic series where uh, this girl 
or maybe maybe it's a group of people. I've never read it, but they they hunt down serial killers. They hunt down slasher villains, basically. So I'm thinking the Neon Maniac show would be something like that, where each week would have a different Neon Maniac with a different gimmick, and it's almost like a slasher mini anthology series, where I mean the same characters would carry over, but it'd be more the villain's story every week, and the villain would be different every week. And I'm also thinking like the why of that will be the mystery. Like why are all these weird slasher villains coming out now or or why have they been here this whole time? Is it all the same source? Is it some kind of mystical thing where people are either going crazy or developing weird powers and also going crazy? You know, you could have like the killer clown episode or the, the, the pig faced killer cannibal episode, but that they'd all be linked somehow. Sort of like loosely, like if you ever watched the show Fringe, they had the pattern, which is just weird sci fi shit's happening and we think it's all connected, but we don't know how. And I I don't know if they even really connected those dots by the end of the show, but this there'd be something like that, some something that, that seems to be linking all of these killers together and the people are the, the, maybe this it's a secret government organization or just a group of people that have figured it out that are hunting them and protecting the world from them secretly you know and again i don't really have much for that because uh, before this i was also thinking maybe like a like a toxic crusader style cartoon where i mean they'd still be the bad guys but they'd be more cartoony because again they're just so gimmicky that i feel like and that goes to my merchandise as well you know they, they make good action figures i think so you know maybe some kind of light-hearted thing that, that kids could watch and, and buy all the toys for uh, but i don't know i think i like the the serial killer anthology idea better uh, but that that's my tv show I like to have more than that, but I don't. So that gets me to video game. And for the video game one, again, I, I keep going back to the singular gimmicks of these characters. And and I was also thinking of the, the, this idea that they were they were hurt by water, which is a very easy thing to find on a planet that's, what, 75, 80% water or something like that? So I'm saying it's not hard to defeat these creatures, except that maybe you can't find water in the moment or they're just they're hunting you so fervently that you don't have time to get to a source of water to kill them so there it would be a strategy in order to kill them but once you can get to that point it's like a one hit kill and that made me think of there there's actually two games there's a, a an old I think it was a PS2 game I think but they they've since relaunched it they've since done like remastered versions and then there's also an indie uh, game that's like a like an 8-bit version of it there's Shadow of the Colossus and then Titan Souls and the premise behind these games is it's sort of like really hard bosses because they have a really weird pattern but once you find their weak point it's essentially like a one-hit kill. Not so much for Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, the one-hit kill thing is Titan Souls thing, but Shadow of the Colossus, there's like there's no sub-enemies. It's always just boss battles. You, you travel through this land, and a lot of it is just, just riding your horse through this big landscape, and then eventually you happen upon a giant monster. They're always, in, in Shadow of the Colossus, they're always giant monsters. You know, and you have to figure out how to, one how to just climb up onto it like there's various footholds and things or there's natural like bone outgrowths or whatever and then you have to climb it and then you have to find a point where you can stab it or shoot it with your arrow or whatever you need to do to kill it and once you figure that out it's I want to say relatively easy it's still a difficult challenge the, the puzzle of it just to get there but you know it's it's well, Titan Souls is more the example of, of once you figure it out, it's easy. You, you get the pattern, you, you figure out what part you need to hit, and in Titan Souls, you have one arrow that you can shoot, and it has to, you have to like go and pick it up or drag it back to you, and, and you know if you miss, you know that, that leaves you open to be, be killed, but if you hit, you hit it once and it's dead. So I'm thinking something like that, but in a, in a slasher context. Like Again, I keep bringing up the, the, the Friday the 13th movie game that came out recently, uh, where that's more of a co-op game where you're counselors and you're trying to escape him. I'm saying it's something like that, but it's a different killer every time. 
and there's no escape. You have to kill it, and you have to kill it by getting it somewhere near water. But depending on where you are, you have to figure out the puzzle of, like, where would water be, and how can you get it into a form where you can attack them with it. Like, maybe you go to a sink, but the, they turn the water off so the sink doesn't come out. Maybe you have to find, if you're in a school, you have to find the pool or the showers or something. You have to lure it places, and you have to trick it. You have to create, like, traps. Maybe you get the hose, but there's only, or there's a bucket of water. There's only so much, and you, you can't, you don't necessarily trust your ability to aim it to splash it so you throw it on the ground and then he melts into the ground or something like you set traps for it and again once you can figure that out it's easy to kill him but it's the figuring that out that's the problem so that would be my idea for for neon maniacs and of course each one has a different gimmick a different way that it hunts people and kills people and is in a different location or maybe the locations are randomized i don't know how you would work that but i think that would be an interesting twist on the uh the sort of boss battle game formula uh but anyway, that, that's the video game, and that gets me to merchandise, and I, I alluded to this. I, I'm saying action figures. I mean, that's obvious, right? And I, I mean, also playing cards, too. They introduced the playing cards in the movie itself. I say you do, like, a whole sort of garbage pail kid toy line. And as far as the action figures go, I would say not even, like, like traditional action figures where they're articulated. I'm thinking more like a collectible action figure set. Like, if you remember Monsters in My Pocket... Or, I don't know if like, Pokemon doesn't really count. I guess there's not, like, a collector's thing for, like, the plushy Pokemon or anything. I don't know if they even have... Do they have, like, a series of all, however many, 250, 300 Pokemon there are now? Like, in plush form or in toy form where you can collect them all physically? Because I know they have, like, the, the games, obviously, and they have that mobile app, which I never played, uh, Pokemon Go, which I don't even know if that's still around. But something like that. But, again, more like Monsters in My Pocket where they're a little more cheaply made, but there's hundreds of them. You can expand the line to more and more Neon Maniacs as you go, and, you know, you're, you're, you're inclined to collect them all. Uh, or uh, there's also those muscle toys where they were like, I think they were called like eraser figures because they looked like like yellow erasers or, or pink, you know, pink erasers. Uh, but anyway, that's that's the idea for the toy line. It's you know milking as much money out of out of these as you can by uh, by just having more and more arbitrary figures that didn't even appear in the movie that they're just there to trick dumb kids out of their money. Uh, so anyway, that's my merchandise, and that gets me to everyone's favorite part of the episode, the porn parody, and this one. You know, I, I didn't like this at first, but then I came up with a little bit, bit of a tweak for it, and I, and I think I like it now. Because originally my idea, it, you know, Neon Maniacs, I'm saying, you you, you 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 throw a bone to our urine freaks out there, Peon Maniacs. But then I thought, you know, you call them Maniacs, the people that want to get peed on, you don't want to judge them harshly, you don't want to say, oh, they're Maniacs for wanting to get peed on. I mean, it's not my thing, but I don't judge people, their sexual fetishes, as long as... You know, everybody's of age and consenting and nobody's getting hurt. You know, do do what you need to do. Be you, be you. If you like to get peed on or peed in or whatever, you know, that's your thing. And you're not a maniac. You're a perfectly fine, well-adjusted individual, probably. So then I said, okay, it's not pee on maniacs and, and work with me here. Because you're going to hear this and you're going to be like, oh, that's so fucking clever. I didn't even, I, I, I never conceived of anything. Pee on man, comma, he asks. See, so it implies the consent. So it's not like you're peeing on somebody against their will. Pee on man, he asks. See? <laughs> I know, I know, you're speechless. You're like, what? I, it's so good. It's, it's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Pee on man, he asks. That's my porn parody title. Porn parody for Neon Maniacs. Pee on man, he asks. And that gets me to the drinking game. The last part of this episode. And this one, again, there, there wasn't a lot to really hold on to. There weren't, really weren't a lot of footholds on this movie that I could point to and say, oh, that's 
I mean, because I can say like every time you see a shitty gimmick monster, but like that's the whole movie. Uh, so I'm thinking anytime you see a corpse get a hook embedded into it and see it dragged away, take a drink. Uh, anytime you see an obvious like ADR or cut where it's like them trying to edit together footage that wasn't supposed to be edited together that way, like there's a point where uh, you never see her, the main girl get suspended, but you just see her get dropped off at home, and then there's like a voiceover from the principal that you've never met who goes, "I think it'd be in all our best interests if uh, you did if you were uh, stayed home for a while." And then later on, she references being suspended, but she's obviously referring to a scene that they never shot. So anytime you see something like that, where it's obvious they're trying to cobble this together into something else, take a drink. Uh, and then I'm also saying, anytime you see smoky death, because anytime they get water hit on them or get a limb severed, they, they put like, it's not even dry ice. It's like some kind of weird smoke machine, like steam coming out of, of the holes. So I'm saying anytime you see them steaming up and, and melting in, in sort of smoky Wizard of Oz style witch death, then you take a drink and that's it that's that's my episode that's the neon maniacs it's about as lackluster as the movie was i'm sorry but uh, that that sometimes happens uh, so all that's left is to to tell you the next movie that i'm going to talk about and so i'm going to get my list here which i've this is the like i said this is the first episode of of uh season three so i had to re-roll for a new list i randomized my categories and then i randomized the movies uh, but I haven't memorized it, so I have to grab my actual list. And the next movie... Oh, okay. Yeah, the next movie is Light Blast. And I, I got this movie in my action category, but I actually think it's it, it's as much a sci-fi movie as an action movie, I think. But it is also a gritty cop movie, so I put it on my action list, and that's where I got it. So it's Eric Estrada, and I believe some kind of laser weapon that he's trying to find. And uh, it, I, I watched the trailer, and it looked fucking bonkers. That's why I put it on the list to begin with. I'm going to watch it again to, to remind myself of it. But that's Light Blast is going to be next week. It's a, a, a looks like a kick-ass 80s action movie that I'm probably going to hate because I'm looking forward to it, and every time I'm looking forward to a movie, I end up hating it. I'm talking to you, Project Metal Beast. So anyway, that's next week. Light Blast. Thank you for listening. And as Johnny Red always says, uh, walk on water, eat bullets, and shit out ice cream. Goodbye, everybody.